Welcome to the Parenting in the Spotlight podcast. I'm your host, Denise Simon, former celebrity talent manager, expert youth acting coach, and a lover of all things adventure and nature. After over 30 years of coaching hundreds of children and young actors who appear on Broadway, television, and film, I have the honest insider tips on how to raise your child star without screwing them up. Thanks for being here, and now, on with the show. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Parenting in the Spotlight podcast. I am super excited today because I am being joined by LA-based youth casting director, Krisha Bullock. Krisha is one of the most influential award-winning casting directors in the industry today, and she specializes in youth casting. She's worked on everything from television shows to feature films, and some of her credits include your favorite, iCarly, Zoe 101, Henry Danger, and Victorious. She's also currently working on Danger Force, Side Hustle, and Fairly Odd Parents, Fairly Otter. She has guided so many up-and-coming actors who have gone on to massive success, making her another fantastic asset to your child's career. Hello, Krisha, and thank you so much for joining me today. Well, hello, and thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. So, okay, I don't know what you think about this, but... I like to call you the queen of multi-camera comedy casting. (laughs) And that's just because you cast and you live in a multi-camera comedy world. Those are your words, by the way. Let's start with telling our listeners what multi-camera comedy even is. Sure. I like to say that I live in the multi-camera comedy world since that's the primary thing that I have been casting for so many years Multi-camera comedy is comedy, primarily children's comedy, although there are some multi-camera comedies for adults as well, where there are four cameras that are working at the same time. So all four cameras are recording what is happening on stage at the same time, and they edit between the four cameras. So from the actor's perspective, they are in the same sort of physical way, standing and and performing to an audience in the same way that you would do for theater, for live theater, multi-camera comedy has that same sort of a vibe to it. What's the difference between multi-camera and single cam? Multi-camera is much closer to live theater, where you would be literally projecting to the audience. And so your volume is a bit louder, your pace is a bit higher, your energy is a bit higher. You don't need to project because the camera is really picking up all of the emotion from a very, very different close up type of a way versus the projection that is needed for both theater and multi-camera, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when you put out a casting breakdown for a young actor Do they know that it's a multi-camera versus a single camera project? They do put in our breakdown that it is a multi-camera project. That does not necessarily get communicated to the talent from through the the agent or manager to them. I hope it does. Uh, But I do think that when they look at it and they read it, there seems to be, I, I get the sense that most actors have an idea of what it is. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's important for them to know that because of the things that they might need to portray in a multicam, like you mentioned, you know, more energy, the pacing is a little bit faster. So if they're not sure of the difference, it might then come off like a single cam if it's a multicam? I think that if they don't keep up the pace and energy and volume, for sure, they can turn what it should be as a should be a multi-camera comedy level into a more single camera drama type of a project, for sure. Right. And that's why, you know, studying, and we'll get into that in a little bit, you know, why the training is so important, because you mm. really have to understand, right, the, the, the genre and the medium that you're auditioning for. Absolutely. And I also am a big believer in research. And I do talk to kids about it on a regular basis that when you get a project, you need to be doing the research, knowing what all the words are. And if the show has aired on television, watching it, you know, luckily now with the internet, everything's accessible. Everything's really at your fingertips. So there's no reason for not doing any research any longer. Yes. I also think if there's a show and they're unfamiliar with it or they're not able to find it, um, or it's a new show, they can just look up the writer or the director and to see what their style is, right? Because they don't usually veer too far off of their projects. Absolutely. And, you know, you do, if they are getting uh, an audition from their agent or manager, the agent and manager should be able to communicate as a lot of information. And then if they can't get it from there, they can, you know, keep looking, keep searching. Absolutely. So your main role, I know you do some teaching because you do some teaching for us in our workshops, but your role as casting director, if you could really define that, because I think that parents, young actors, have a misconception of what a casting director is. What is your role as casting director for the projects that you work on? Thank you so much for asking. I think it is a very misunderstood role in production. Casting directors, in a nutshell, and in my world, we work very, very closely with the writers and the producers of the projects. And we, our job is really to bring that vision of the writer with along with the producer and sometimes with the director, if you're working on a film, particularly it would happen. But in my world, it's more the writers and the producers. We're bringing their vision to life, so there it's a it's a cooperative, creative conversation that happens where we're asking what the they had in mind as they were writing, what they have in mind as they're producing. And we try and bring that vision to life. And when I say that, I mean, we break it down what it, it is that we would be looking for in the actor to be able to fulfill that role. We search for an actor who does bring that role to life in a very organic kind of a way. That also can hit all the comedy notes as they are written and is the best fit for the role. Luckily, we spend a lot of time doing that, just looking for the best fit, looking for the best actor. It's one of my very favorite things about my role in kids programming is that we do get to audition until we find the best person. Carrying on from that, once we have held the auditions, we present 
who we think are the best choices to the rest of the creative team. There's always a conversation. It's not one person. It's always multiple people who weigh in. They Not only the creative writers and the creative producers, but also the network will also weigh in on those casting choices. And then the last part of my role is to fight for people who I think are right if other people are overlooking them. And then once a decision has finally been made, we make the offers and deal with the agents and the managers um, in the negotiation of that offer and generate the contracts and the cast lists share with the rest of production. So it's a there's a, a huge amount of paperwork involved as well as the auditioning and casting part of it. But what I'm hearing is you you have a lot of jobs, but at the end of the day, it's not your decision. It's never really one person's decision, I don't think, on any project anywhere. There's always, every project is a collaboration. And I don't think that there is any world where it's just one person from start to finish. There's always collaboration between a lot of different people. And I may have a vision in my head when I've read the script. And then when I communicate with the writers, uh, what their vision is, it's a little bit different than what I heard in my head. And then maybe we audition people and the people that we like are bringing even a different voice to that. And so it's a, there, there's always a creative collaboration going on. It's never just one person. I, I love that because when I work with young actors, we're really trying to get them to make interesting choices. And sometimes those choices will be able to tell the creatives something that they might not have seen, but right, they're now bringing something to the role that all of a sudden now the creative team is going to be like, wow, that I didn't see that, or that's even great. And that's even better. I mean, it works both ways, right? Absolutely. We've had that happen to us multiple times where we see somebody and what they have brought to the role is so interesting and so fabulous that they may slightly change the creative to accommodate. Really what we want to encourage young people to do is not only bring interesting, bold choices, but the most interesting, bold things that come out of them because really it comes from inside of who they are and bringing that out. They're always going to be interesting if they're reaching their truth inside of them because every person is interesting in their own way. Right. And I think that actors, they, they train in acting, singing and dancing. I'm obviously an acting teacher and coach. I'm a big proponent of training, but it is also so important for them to stretch themselves in other areas, right? Because that's making them that that really unique, interesting person as well. Absolutely. And tapping into what other things they are interested in and being able to connect those to whatever the script may be and bring that part of themselves into whatever they're auditioning for makes them interesting and makes them be the kind of people we want to see, which is just organic themselves. The best actors act from inside themselves and they're very, very brave people where they can open up and share with us their innermost 
experiences, even in comedy, they're still finding truth inside of themselves and bringing it out. So the training helps them connect, but what they've got inside is what is additional magic that they can bring forward. Would you say there are certain skills that might be important for a young actor to have if they want to book comedy? I I think it's really a great idea for young actors to practice their improv skills. It gets them thinking outside the box. It helps them to think of all the different ways in which a scene, a comedy scene is in front of them and that how that can be played. I also think it's really important for young actors to understand that there's a lot of different ways of coming at the role. And if they are training in improv, training in scene study, they can use both of those skills as they figure out what's funny in the scene and how they can make it funny. I'm not sure if I answered the question. You did. What is funny? Do you think that that's just innate in somebody or can somebody learn to be funny? Oh, good question. I do think that there's a lot of young people that are innately funny. They just understand what's funny and they understand the comedic timing and they understand how to make words on a page read even funnier than maybe we've read them in the first place. And then you can 100% learn to be funny. You can take the classes and understand where the funny beats are and how to utilize different techniques to find whether or not that is funny. Timing is one and the run of threes. There's a lot of different ways that you can make things funny, but I absolutely think people can learn anything. It's just going to require work and practice. So what would you say some of the telltale signs are that a young actor might have a promising career in multi-camera comedy? Mm. I don't know if there's a specific telltale sign, but I do think that throughout my career, we, my business partner and I have both tracked a lot of young actors. And when we see them, um, doing a great audition, we always remember to bring them back, even if this wasn't the perfect role for them. And as long as we can continue to see them growing and getting better and better with every audition, I think that's sort of the telltale sign that they have a promising career, period, whether it be in comedy or in drama, as long as we see them continuing to work on themselves, continuing to bring truth to their role and showing up as young professionals, that's sort of all the things we're looking for always. I think that that word truth is so important. I, I did a little bit of stand-up comedy myself, and I found when I was really speaking my truth, that's where the funny was. A hundred percent. We are funny people. All of us are funny people. And what really happens in your life is much funnier than creating something else. Um, as we were talking earlier, I was remembering that one of the things that I get asked most often about uh, the whole casting process is actors are always saying, I always want to know what you're looking for. And I like to remind young people that we're looking for you. We're not looking for a thing or 
something that's outside of you. We're always looking for you, for truth, which brings us back to that truth is where the funny is. So I always just want people to bring themselves to the role and accentuate different parts of yourself. We all have so many different sides to ourselves. If, if the role calls for you to be a little more happy, then be a little happier or whatever the case may be. But we all have all of that inside of us. So it, it shouldn't be as uh, difficult to find those if you are in tune with yourself and finding your own truth. So if an, a young actor doesn't have representation, if they don't have an agent or a manager, how do they find out about the projects that you're casting? Are they still able to audition for, for some of these television shows? 100% they are able to audition for us. We will never say because they don't have an agent or a, a manager that we would not see them. But more oftentimes than not, we do send the audition notifications to agents and managers. And that seems to be the best way to move forward in the business as a whole. That does not mean that we wouldn't see somebody who is unrepresented because we do see unrepresented people often. The bulk being who are represented. Do you find talent on the street, at the movies? Well, if anybody ever goes to the movies anymore, <laughs> in an airport. I mean, do, do you look for talent just in your daily life? Not usually. Usually I am trying to stay present and uh, be in my life outside of work when I'm outside of work. However, when I go to see a show, when I go to see a play, when I'm watching television, when I'm watching movies, I if I see anybody that, or even in commercials, if I see anybody that looks really fabulous and wonderful and interesting, I will do the research and find out who those people are and hope to bring them in for other auditions that we may have coming up. But not typically am I looking, definitely not looking at kids on the street or, you know, at the store or any of that type of stuff. Not at all. What about through social media? Are you looking at Instagram and, and I can't even say Facebook anymore. That's so passe. Mm. Uh, well, I look at all of those social media platforms mostly for my own stuff. Um, but we do track some people that way. We have done research on people that way, but typically not that. That isn't my particular forte. It's not something that I spend a lot of time doing for in the work world. I get that question a lot from parents wanting to know how important it is for their child to have a social media presence. It's not a question that I can answer effectively only because I feel like it changes all the time. I think there was a huge push for a, a period of time to, to bring those social media influencer type people, people who had a large following or whatever you want to call it, bring them in and put them on television and put them in the movies and wherever else in hopes that the amount of people that they had following them would then translate to people watching whatever platform they were acting in. And really the, the 
complication came for me when I was witnessing it was that these people were popular on social media for other things in their world, not for being a great actor. So the translation in the, just in the, the understanding what an acting role is, didn't work. And then when there was some accommodations made for these people to not necessarily have such a heavy acting role and put them on television or wherever it did not equal their their the amount of followers on their social media platform did not equal the amount of people that we had additional watching the show because that person was on the show so i'm not in my experience i'm not seeing the benefit yet i don't know that that won't change tomorrow or next week or with the next platform or whatever but that's been my experience up until now again i don't know what's next i don't know what could change but um i like kids to be kids doing kid things because i think the more that kids are doing kid things they can bring their kid energy and enthusiasm into the roles in that real and truthful way that's exciting for us to see. Yeah, thanks so much for for talking about that because you know, I think that actors need to know this is hard work and if they want to do it, they've got to study it. Mhm. And it looks so easy to be an influencer and, you know, be a, a YouTuber just doing what, what they do and thinking that's going to get them fame. And it might in, in a different world, but in terms of an acting role, if you want to act, you need to learn about acting. And if you want to work in multi-camera comedy, you need to be training in how to be the best actor that you can and learning, you know, some of the techniques that are needed to be able to pull off a multi-camera comedy. Yeah, exactly. It it does. It they're they are uh, completely separate things. That doesn't mean that there aren't people who are excellent at both. But if you, but I find that those people are much fewer and far between. Really, you have great actors, and then really you have great social media people. And I don't find them crossing over nearly as much as you, as one would think that they cross over. Sometimes I find too that people will say, well, they're an influencer. And I'll say, oh, great, what are they influencing? Well, they're fashion. I'm like, okay, well, so they they have great clothes and a great fashion sense. That's wonderful and amazing, but that doesn't mean that they can act. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they can take somebody else's words and make it be truth for them. So it just it's a it's an interesting um, way of looking at it. You cast for a, a lot of the networks, Nickelodeon, Disney, um, and a lot of these shows, I think in the last few years, I'm seeing pop singing has become something that, that we're seeing in these shows. I also see on a breakdown sometimes, you know, if you can sing a pop song, sing a little bit for us. Is that, how important is that? I think it depends on the project. There are definitely projects that have a singing component. And if they have a singing component, we do need to know the level of, you know, ability of the people who are auditioning. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't learn 
that. Um, but I do encourage talent of all kinds to understand what they're good at. And if they're not good at something to continue to work on that, no matter what it is, if you're a wonderful actor, but not a great singer, then spend a little bit more time working on your vocals. If you spoke Spanish in your household with your grandmother, but you never became fluent, maybe you should learn to speak Spanish all the way. I just feel like anything that you have a little bit of practice and, and see how good you can get at it. It doesn't mean that if you don't, if you don't excel at it, that you won't get hired to do that. It just, the better you can be at anything, the better for everybody. And not every project requires singing at all. And some do. I've had projects where, you know, like the show Victorious, everybody needed to be able to sing because singing was a huge component of that show. Then there's other shows where, you know, we want to hear your voice, but you might not sing at all. Would you say that pop singing is the type of singing you're looking for or traditional musical theater? Ooh, tough to say. Um, it, it, it feels to me like pop has become the new sort of popular way of going, but that doesn't mean that it won't lean back the other way to be more towards uh, musical theater. I think that we, as casting directors often will say sing a pop song because we know at least they'll be familiar with a pop song and if we specify musical theater not everybody has had the opportunity to learn a lot of musical theater and so it it feels to me that we use that mostly just because it's for our own benefit so that we make the audition a little easier i've had Young actors tell me that their parents were forcing them to take a dance class or a gymnastics class because they thought that it would help them, but the child never really wanted to do that. Uh, and so I, I think just like what you're saying, if it's something that you want to do and, and you can excel at it, you know, and then they can come in and present that, you might be able to, to use that. But if they're not wanting to do it, I really think it's ludicrous to try to spend time and energy doing something that you don't want to do. 100% agree. I say that often, and I've said it to parents as well, whose children may be in a class with me, and I really don't see the child in having any energy or enthusiasm for even my class. And I often will say to them, if this is not something that they really want to be doing, and if they are not excited about each and every class and each and every opportunity, then, you know, be listening to the subtleties that children will say, you know, they might tell you they want to be an actor because they know they see their parents' excitement about the thought of that, but really they want to, you know, design video games. I don't know. I just feel like it should be always led by the enthusiasm of your child. If your child really wants it that badly, that you are, you know, you're hearing it every single day and your kid is, is, uh, bugging you till, you know, the cows come home, then they should be an actor. But if they're not doing that, I don't know. I kind of feel like it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time, energy, money, or it can be a lot of time, energy, and money. And if they're not interested, move away from it. 
There's lots of other things for kids to be doing and exploring. One of my most recommended and favorite classes is Krisha's workshop within my Master Your Craft workshop series. Not only is Krisha one of the best casting directors in the business, but she's also one of the best teachers I know. She is fantastic at working with kids and making a difference in how they audition. To sign up for her next class, visit the Master Your Craft workshop so section of my website at denisesimoncoaching.com. on some of your teaching because you've done some of the workshops in my program. And... I love to listen and watch you work with the actors on slates. So if we could just spend a few minutes, why the slate is so important, especially in a multi-camera comedy. Well, the slate's important for lots of reasons. Kids have to slate so that we can hear their voice. Hopefully we hear them speaking in their natural tone of voice that we are finding out how old they are, how tall they are, what grade they're in, lots of information. So it's important for the slate because that's an information gathering place for us. Since we have moved, or my office at least, has moved to exclusively self-tapes before a possible Zoom callback, the slate is now really the only introduction we have. When kids used to walk into our room they would still have to slate all the same information because we need that information, but we would also have this opportunity to sort of say, hi, how are you? Come on in. And we would get a little bit of chit chat going on and get a sense of who this person is. We don't have that anymore because it's all self-tape. And so I have really noticed that people who slate as if they're actually talking to a human, because they are, they're talking to us, uh, it makes a huge difference. And slates become this thing that, okay, I just have to do this thing, give them all this information. And it sort of sounds bored and rote and not, not enthusiastic in any way, shape or form. And I love when I get a slate that is specific, especially actors who have worked with us in the past, who have either been in a workshop or have been in our office or we've cast them in something, whatever, it doesn't matter, that they're the, they understand that the self-tape is coming to us so they can speak directly to us. It makes a difference. Also, because we're seeing so many self-tapes in a day, in a day, we're watching however many that is. Today, maybe 50, maybe 100, maybe 200, maybe 500, maybe five. Any number in between, I can't even tell you, depends on the day. But no matter how many you're watching, it's the same thing. You're looking at a square with a person's head, and they're giving you this information before they do the scene. The minute you have anything else going on in that conversation, in that slate where you're saying one other thing or speaking to me about something, any of that makes me take notice. I stop, I listen. It just makes a, a difference. I, I don't know if I'm even explaining it correctly, but imagine sitting and watching, you know, a hundred 12 year old girls saying, hi, my name is Susie and I'm 12 years old and I'm 52 inches. Hi, my name is Jody and I'm 12 years old and I'm 53 inches. 
over and over and over again, it makes a difference when they're talking to you, saying something to you. So can you give one example of what that might look like? Sure. Um, It could be anything. Hi, I'm Krisha. I'm 100 years old. I live in Los Angeles. I'm five foot one and three quarters. And I have my house decorated with Easter eggs everywhere because I can't get enough of chocolate Easter eggs. (laughs) I just learned about you that you love Easter and that you love chocolate and that you have a zest for life. Yes, and the, exactly. And I would say that the most important thing would be my love of chocolate. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. Can I just ask you to share your favorite slate? And I, and I don't want listeners to think that they all have to do this, but you shared with mm-hmm. us one of your favorite slates. And I love that example. And, and Maybe people can uh, become a little creative just from hearing that. Would you mind sharing that? Can I play it? Oh, that would even be better. I can play it if that works for you. Um, It's a a, a phenomenal actor who I have known. He's an adult and I have known him for more than 20 years. And we have had the great misfortune of never being able to work together on a show. But I love him so much. I think he's incredibly hysterically funny. And I just have not ever had an opportunity to hire him, which makes me kind of crazy. His name is Tom Lank, and he is incredibly funny. And we asked the adult actors to tell us name, age, no, or not age, excuse me, name, height, city, you are currently in and the city you reside in because during the whole COVID experience, people were saying, I live in Los Angeles, but I'm currently in Houston because they were, had gone back to be with their parents or to be with their families for COVID or whatever the situation was. So we needed a little bit more information and Tom is just funny and quirky and Uh, So this is what he did with his um, slate. Hey there, I'm Tom Lank. I'm 5'7". I'm based in L.A. and I also reside here. I'm based in L.A. And I also reside here. I'm based in L.A. It's so silly and funny and fabulous. And he did exactly what we asked. He answered all the questions and then he he just carried on. He felt like singing and just made up a song about being in LA. That was adorable. So it, made us, it definitely made us stop and pay extra attention, if nothing else. Yeah, and I think just from the slate, just from who somebody is, you can learn so much. If that person is creative, that person is funny and you want creative, funny people. Exactly. Yeah. 
I love that. Thank you so much for playing that. I've heard the story, but I never actually heard the tape. Oh, how funny. Yeah, he's amazing. I I will continue to pray for the day that uh, I have a project that he's exactly right for. (laughs) So I just want to talk a little bit about this whole self-tape world that that we're living in. Uh, And you had mentioned that, you know, everything is being done via self-tape now. That is a big change from being in the room. Are you solely casting just off self-tapes right now? We are doing all of our first calls, meaning the big um, initial audition world. We are doing all of that via self-tape. And then depending on the situation, depending on the role, depending on so many factors, sometimes we are casting right from that very first self-tape. Sometimes we ask people to record additional things via self-tape and send those to us. Sometimes we will do a callback and we'll either use EcoCast's uh, system or Zoom or whatever, sometimes FaceTime. I mean, whatever works, really, we are using them um, so that we can have a, a more of a one-on-one experience with the actors. That's the biggest part of all of this that I really, really miss is being able to work face-to-face and with with the people in the room and the zoom helps it doesn't it's not perfect but that's sort of where it's coming from so the self-tapes that we just let people know that because we're in this self-tape world that that self-tape that you initially send in if it if you're doing an amazing job in that self-tape and we completely believe it that self-tape will be the tape that gets sent to producers and writers and directors and all the way up to the network Wow. Well, actors need to be really good at self-taping then. Yes, it's a lot. We're asking a lot of young actors right now and asking a lot of parents to read with them and figure out how that's all going to work out for themselves. I do understand and, and have great compassion for how much more we're asking from people, but at least they're not schlepping all over town and having to figure out where they're going and get stuck in traffic and be late and have all of that stress and panic. I feel at least they can be at in the comfort of their home and record it as many times as they need to, to feel really good about their, what they're presenting. For sure. I think there are a lot of pros, especially for actors who don't live in Los Angeles. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, you are based in LA, but you can now see actors from all over the country. We always could, uh, but now it's, I mean, we see people from everywhere. And the wonderful thing about it is that even if an actor is on vacation or doing something else, they can stop down, figure out the best way to get this, this tape recorded, and they don't have to be missing out on any auditions because they're out and about doing their life. So is there any advice that you have for uh, parents or for young actors or any actor for that matter in self-taping? Self, I mean, there's a lot. We, we, yes. I mean, it's all sort of the standard self-tape stuff. Make sure that you um, can be seen, that there's not shadows on your face. Make sure that you can be heard, that the audio and the video match up. I remind people to please make sure that their camera is at eye level 
of the performer. If that requires boxes and books and upside down soup pots and whatever else you've got to get the get it raised up high enough to be at the eye level of the talent, that's where the camera should be. I like a plain backdrop. I don't think it needs to be professional, although a million people have invested in these beautiful professional backdrops, and I say thank you. I applaud them. But I don't think it's imperative. I think you can grab a sheet, a blue sheet, or a, you know, some blue seems to be an easy color to watch. So some version of a blue sheet, and you can tape it to your wall behind your head. I like the person, whoever's, whenever you're setting up your tape to know that the top of your head should be at the top of the screen. We get used to looking through a viewfinder when you take images and you want that the person to be in the center of the square, but not when you're self-taping. You want the top of your head at the top of the screen, and the bottom of the screen to be waist is sort of the best. It can be breast, it can be waist, either or anything in, in there, in that sort of area. I like actors to stand when they audition. I think that actors get enough, they get more energy and through that energy comes their creative connection to truth. So I like it when actors will stand to audition, even if they're auditioning at home. That's my preference is to have them stand. I think that's sort of all my, my do's and don'ts. Try and make sure that whoever's reading with you keeps the pace and the volume of the way that the actor is speaking. The reader is there to help the actor be the best actor they can be. That doesn't mean that the reader has to be also an actor, but they definitely should keep the same pace. They should be following along. They should be trying to be in the scene with the actor as best they can. And to not steal the focus. Oh, definitely. They don't need to be louder. They don't need to be pulling away, but yeah. And how about memorization? Oh, well, that's... I've been saying that for a long, long, long time. Um, actors have to be memorized. That's their job. Their job is to memorize and to audition until they book the job. And then the, their next version of their job is the job that they're going to do on stage. But uh, for memorizing, it's just a must. It's just not optional. The competition <laughs> across the board, the competition now that we are completely online has gone from a very, very huge pool to a monstrosity of a, of a pool of talent now. And the people who aren't memorized will just immediately sink to the bottom. Thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all of your secrets, your tips, your knowledge, <laughs> your wisdom. Um, this has been fabulous. I learn so much every time we chat or do a workshop together. I think you are just awesome at what you do. I'm going to just keep calling you the queen of multi-camera comedy casting. Oh, you're so funny. Thank you so much. I love what you're doing. You're, all of the things that you're working with your kids on really makes a huge difference when we see them um, do their auditions. So I applaud all of your educational prowess as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Krisha, to speak with me and uh, and for all of our listeners, whether they're driving right now in the car or they're on the beach or they're making dinner. Thanks again for joining me in this week's episode of Parenting in the Spotlight with my guest, Krisha Bullock. 
I hope you were able to learn some things that will be useful for you and your child's career. And I also hope to see some of you in Krisha's workshop in the coming weeks. Like I always say, it's important to continue developing your child's training, and Krisha is a great resource and person to work with. Join me next time on the next episode. Thanks for of tuning into the in Parenting the in the Spotlight podcast. podcast. And thanks, by the way, for sharing this podcast with other parents on the same journey as you. You sharing and reviewing this podcast means the world to us. And if you're new here, don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Denise Simon DSC. See you on the next episode of Parenting in the Spotlight.